I think it will thrill you. It may shock you. It might even horrify you. So if any of you feel that you do not care to subject your nerves to such a strain, now is your chance to... Uh, well, we've warned you. Hey guys, and welcome to the latest edition of Real Horror Show. I'm Mark Sheridan, writer director of Chromewood, and today we've got a very, very special guest who is Sarah Cleary. Hi, Sarah. Hey, how are you? Sarah, I was going to introduce you. Uh, actually, first I should reference the fact that our co-hosts are actually missing in action today. Conor McMahon is apparently making a film, and Conor Dowling could be dead, we don't know, but we've heard he's probably fine, and Ali is stuck in work with some kind of a crazy emergency, so I hope it's okay, Ali. Uh, Sarah, how would you describe yourself? Oh my God. Well, I suppose the easiest way to describe myself is to reference my work. And um, my PhD, which I completed a couple of years ago and I'm now um, about to publish my first book on it, was the manner in which the horror genre has been controlled, regulated and restricted in response to its alleged effects on children. So if it's immoral or if it's sensorial, I'm there. And this is not just an Irish problem, I presume you're talking from a worldwide perspective? No, so basically in the book what I do is I take um, the UK, um, which very much parallels the Irish, I mean there is changes obviously and differences, but I take the UK and I take the um, US response to horror since 1931, but I kind of pasted in by going all the way back to Matthew Lewis's The Monk, which was in 1798. Wow. Yeah. So and I look at the way in which we have seen horror as this kind of very um, nefarious beast which creeps in through our kids' windows and corrupts them. And as long as we can kind of control this beast, we can control our children. We can control the things that they do. It's really interesting to me on that kind of side of things. I... Obviously, both of us are, are very involved in the world of horror and I kind of forget sometimes how so many people still have this sense of stigmatism or genuine, like they, they look at you different yes. <laughs> when you say that you love horror films. Absolutely. But I mean, listen, this year we had the Momo Challenge. Yes. You know what I mean? And I follow Fill our, this. our listeners in case they don't know what this is. Yeah. So this was all over the tabloids recently. Um, I think it kind of peaked in February of 2019. And basically there was this very, very strange story kind of originated from somewhere in Russia, somewhere or Argentina, maybe. We're not quite too sure. Nice and exotic. Absolutely. <laughs> Where this image was kind of um, would infect children's mobile phone devices, infect their computer games and basically play games with them and ultimately tell them to go kill themselves. And apparently it was reported in somewhere exotic that a couple of children had actually killed themselves. So this was this freakish response in the press across all platforms. Legitimate. Legitimate press Legitimate. is really what was so crazy. 100%. It wasn't just the red tops. No. Um, where we had this you know th this is dangerous for your children do not let your children near this and then we had all this kind of um, you know talking heads coming in and saying well this is what's going to happen if your children experience this from day one I called bull on it and I just said this is nonsense and if you report if you if you just even like a five second Google search on this you will find out that it was absolutely rubbished it was nonsense it did not exist. It was a hoax. What's What's really crazy to me about that is firstly how quickly it was adopted as a terrifying story. I saw images yeah. of, of what Momo supposedly looked like. Yeah. Uh, 
And yeah, the fact that they were pretty sure that people yeah. had been damaged by it or oh, like, yeah. uh, telling every parent to run home and talk to their children and assure them, please don't kill yourself tonight. Over Absolutely. And, and what happened here is that you had authoritarian figures telling parents to be afraid. Yes. And then what happens then is the children then look at the parents who are their authoritarian figures and they're getting freaked out. So I kind of think it's interesting. It's like, have you ever been on an airplane? I've heard of them. Yeah, one or twice, right? And, you know, a friend of mine was on an airplane a couple, uh, co- about six months ago and it was really, really, really turbulent and the gas masks fell out. People were freaking, praying, everything. It was a proper Father Ted job, right? <laughs> and they were looking at it and my friend just kept her, kept her eyes fixed on the air hostess and she said to herself, when she starts freaking out, I'm jumping. That's exactly what I do. Right? <laughs> and the air hostess was annoyed, frustrated, but calm. Okay? And then she said to herself, we're going to be okay. We're going to be okay. And that's what kids do. They look at their parents and say, well, is that scary, ma'am? No. Okay, I'm going to get on with my life. But what's happening is, is that we have these all these millions of child experts. It's one of the most lucrative fields of the 21st century is child uh, child parenting. And they're telling us to be afraid all the time. You're damaging your children. You're damaging your children by doing this. You're damaging your children by doing that. Listen, we got through the 80s. We're grand, allegedly. <laughs> okay. But, and and, and that wasn't as, as, as enforced then. But it's just ridiculous the way in which this is fear mongering. Hence where the, the book that I'm actually publishing is called The Myth of Harm. And so obviously I presume you're, you're touching on it's not just the horror genre like video games yeah. anything else that's always been targeted like rock music metal music you know Yeah uh, exactly like pop culture but I specifically hone in on horror because I think horror has always been the low hanging fruit it, I'm always amazed at how quickly people go back to it to, to blame things like for you when you're studying stuff from a, a morality point of view do you see connections between how people reacted to horror, say, back in the days, Top Browning's Freaks and mm-hmm. stuff like that, calling all the controversy to your kind of 70s, I spit on your grave, to say, Saw with mm. kind of around the Iraq war type mm-hmm. time. Are people reacting differently or is it, is it the exact same story peddled every time? It's the exact same story peddled every time. History is cyclical. It's not linear. And we are just ingrained with this idea that history is linear, that we're getting more aggressive, that we're getting more violent, that our popular culture is getting more and more violent. It's not, you know, news break. <laughs> it's not. We are getting less violent as a society. We are reading and publishing and watching more violence. There's a big difference about that. So that's the clear delineation between watching and, and committing are two very different things. Absolutely. And would you say then, because for me, especially in, in movies, and we'll, we'll mm. touch more on horror in a yeah. bit, but just even in general with movies, I think one of the strange things is because horror films at least portray the negative aspects of violence, while actually a lot of more modern, say, blockbusters are these safe, incredibly violent films where you can hit someone in the head with a hammer without any repercussions. Yes, and they tell us that it's okay to do this, whereas in the horror film, there's always repercussions from it. You know, there's always repercussions. But I think specifically why I'm in love with horror, and I don't think I'd be alone in saying this, is that horror is simply the messenger. Horror is the mirror that we look in. But as in all things, we kill the messenger and not absorb the message. So that's simply what horror is doing. Horror is just telling us, guys, there's a really nasty side to life here, but we're going to explore it in a really safe space, which is the world of fiction and film. 
hence why we flock to it because we want to re- we want to seek out but we don't want to do it in an uncomfortable space but I'm sure it's been done since Little Red Riding Hood and all those fairy tales we were told as a kid you absolutely know, like. and I think one of the masters of that I mean there's many masters of it but one of the masters of that is Stephen King yes and Stephen King what he's always done is he's always kind of um, peddled a capital HR with a, lo- with a lowercase HR so if you take something like Salem's Lot yes. right and it's like we've got the capital HR with the vampires and you know I'm referencing the book here specifically and we've got Hoobie in the window and he's all molted and pussy and disgusting and he opens his eyes and it's like run the vampires are floating and it's all very scary um, but we know vampires don't exist allegedly <laughs> uh, we know vampires don't exist so we're safe in this fantastical land but the lowercase h that's taking place in Salem's Lot is much more horrific. So referencing specifically the case of the prom queen, the ex-prom queen who's now living in a trailer park, married to a horrible, alcoholic, abusive husband. and um, Her life is in bits, is going nowhere. And one day she can't cope. She shakes the baby and the baby dies. She has a mental breakdown. She can't cope with this. Props up the corpse of her baby in a high chair and starts feeding a chocolate pudding. And the chocolate pudding keeps falling out of the dead baby's mouth and onto its little belly. That for me personally is more horrifying than any vampire, any Jason, any Michael, any any of these films. Because we know that this is happening and it's horrific. And we know that this is taking place in Dublin. Yeah, it's, it's a funny one actually because like, I, I think for me... The stand, well, it was probably when I was younger, mm. was the, one of the first ones that hit me. And obviously, again, I was probably at the age who was about these kids in the Losers Club. So that yeah. really hit me. But like even the stand, it was it was more not just the Captain Trips. Obviously, that's a terrifying idea of this infestation of a disease that's wiping mm-hmm. people out. But it was more the dawning reality of the way people behaved was probably how people would behave. And and that's Absolutely. actually so much more depressing and disappointing. Than... We're not good. No. We're not good. And I think that's why true crime has really just exploded. I mean, everything's cyclical. I mean, if you think back to like, you know, the 50s, we had the cycle of Westerns and then it came back in the 70s. Haven't saw it a little bit in the 90s again. We, we don't know when it's going to come back again. But horror also goes through cycles and, and different horror goes through cycles. But right now, I think specifically what we're looking at is this kind of more insidious type of terror, you know, and people said to me, I think I was talking actually to to Stephen um, about, you know, Trump horror. Yeah. And we were thinking about, well, what is Trump horror? I haven't seen Trump in any horror films. And it's not. It's this more kind of insidious feeling that is running through. It's paranoia. Are we like us or where? It's terror. Yeah. You know, give me some examples. What, what, What would... Well, obviously, I, I I think, you know, I think Get Out is probably the pinnacle yes. of that right now. And I know it's, it's very much racially motivated, but I also think it's this idea going back to, you know, body snatchers. Whenever there's um, political turmoil, we start feeling very, very unsure and very unsure of ourselves. And what's more terrifying is yourself walking into a room. Yeah. And not recognising yourself anymore. You know, that's more terrifying than anything else we can fathom. So th- that's interesting because like obviously Jordan Peele is kind of seen as the the big guy on the stage, mm. I guess, at the moment. Um, did you think Us was better than Get Out? Do you think... I, I loved Us as a standalone film. I think it was so unfair that it came out so soon after Get Out. Yeah. Because it, it's, it's you have to put the two of them up beside each is other. Is it the difficult second album? It is the difficult <laughs> second album. And I think all the pieces were there. Yeah. But I just think it was a slightly little bit laboured. 
I agree, actually. I, I, I deeply admire the fact that I think he was trying to go, he wanted to go bigger and he yeah. wanted to push it further. I think yeah. he ended up overstepping in certain points because of that, but yeah. I kind of would rather that he was trying yes. than not. And actually, I don't know, have you seen Midsummer? Yes, yes, uh, yeah. I sort of felt the same thing. Yeah, with all Lester. the components were there. I mean, listen, I am going to probably not be invited back here ever again <laughs> for saying what I'm about to say. I said it at a conference a couple of weeks ago. I was asked to leave. Um, I'm not a big fan of Stranger Things. I'm okay with that. Are you though, yeah, really? I am. Are no, you sure? Because I, 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 I saw your face twitch there when I said that. Well, because I've been so conditioned in this world where to say that I quite enjoy Stranger Things, but I oh couldn't God, care you enjoy whether Things. it happens That's or like not. That's like saying it's nice. <laughs> but it is That's nice. That's like saying it's nice. Well, like, it's, it's perfectly good. Oh God, it just keeps sense coming. sense of like 80s nostalgia. See, I have, a, I have a kind of an issue with the 80s nostalgia type thing. I think Stranger Things does it better than most of the ones out there. I just mm-hmm. don't really know why okay so my take on Stranger Things is this and don't spoil season 3 of me yet I'm only an episode no, I'm well, sure you listen, are all the way through them listen when it comes to Stranger Things I think all the components are there yep. but it's like walking into your parents house and finding the box that they left of of your neighbour's 80s toys. <laughs> you don't have any sort of cool narrative to run through remembering those toys. It's all these 80s just toys jumbled into a box that look cool, act cool, but you've absolutely no link to any of them. And see, I think that therein lies the rub. That's the problem where you're kind of going, I feel I should like this. And I think a lot of people have felt that they should love it and so have decided that yeah. they do. Yeah. Um, I don't think there's a heart to it. It's like, and I know you're saying, Sarah, how can you say that? You've got kids with bleeding noses and <laughs> you've got children overcoming adversity and blah, 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 blah. But I think that that soul that ran through, an off, I mean, take the Goonies. Yes. Oh, I mean, that's hallowed ground. Right? It's hallowed ground for us, but is it hallowed ground to people who are a bit older or younger? I think it's hallowed ground for everybody because, I mean, it's cult at this point, yes. you know, and, and we kind of, one thing that the millennials have been very good at is um, a respecting cult. They have been very, very good at that. They wear the t-shirts, they might have seen the film. That's true. Actually, okay? that is true. Um, but what's, what's so beautiful about that film is it's not trying to be anything other than it is. Yes. Whereas Stranger Things is killing itself with 80s nostalgia, which all the bo- all the components are there. I just I just don't think it's got any heart or soul to it. But see, and it's a funny one because in a way, I think when the Duffer Brothers made season one, like Netflix just dumped it. I don't think they expected it to be anywhere near the yeah. hit it was. I think uh, this nostalgia notion, and from a horror point of view, I'd even go into what's happened, say, even nearly over the last 20 years, yeah. but this whole throwback to the campy 80s horror yeah. film, but not actually a good one. Yeah. You know, your your hatchets or, or whatever else yeah. it is. Why do you think people want it? I think when it comes to 80s horror, I mean, specific or especially for horror fans, I think it it harks. We we were kids in the 80s, late 70s, going up into the night. I mean, the big, long childhood. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, when do we stop being kids? Um, so it's like a big blanket. It's like going home on a Friday night and saying, Mom, there's no toilet roll. You know, even though you have your own mortgage, you know, I still do that. Like, I'm about no toilet roll. When is dinner? You know, and yeah, I have to do my own shopping. I have to pay my own mortgage, you know, blah, blah, blah. All the real boring stuff. But when you go home, like, you know, you're smoking out the window. You're, you know, you're giving out to your mom to, to mind you. And I think that's what 80s, it, this, this hark back to 80s. We're all grown up now. None of us can afford anything. There's no job security the way there was. You know, in the 80s, everyone was poor. Yes. Now in 2019, 
some people are poor, some people are rich. There was this lovely democratic approach to kind of poverty in the 80s. And now it's like people who are staying in the arts are just broke. Yes. You know, and people who are in the arts typically veer towards horror and we're just this big comfort blanket around us. But yeah, so, we love so it. is it our way of trying to protect ourselves? 100%. Yeah. It's like a buffer. And it was, yeah, that's a, an interesting one because I remember reading a, a really interesting article. Uh, I can't remember who wrote it, uh, arguing that perhaps it was the fact that they were someone suffering from high anxiety was the reason they were drawn to horror because yeah. it was a way of trying to confront and like I think definitely for myself that was a way of being very afraid of things and finding some way to to brave it in a very safe environment and yeah. explore those ideas and you know Absolutely. think it through you know and I think the one the interesting thing about horror is I think it's very the people's approach to horror is very unique and hence why I'm always kind of slightly fearful of when we say well horror is like a roller coaster horror is cathartic horror blah blah horror blah blah I think people's approach to horror is multifold you know some people's approach to horror is the same way people like rum and raisin over strawberry yeah. I just like a boo fright with my girlfriend on a Saturday night. Okay. And that's cool. That's legitimate too. Some people go into horror say for, you know, overcoming personal adversity. Some people use it as a, a comfort buffer. Some people are just intrigued by the socio-political commentary. But here's the thing. You can enjoy all of that at the same time. You know, I mean, I recently um, lost a big member of my family, my little dog, Kruger, <laughs> aptly named. And uh, Kruger was a huge part of our family. And I'm, she died on a Monday. And I literally went underground with a duvet and watched um, just the most awful <laughs> series. I, like I watched all the houses, like oh all God. of them, like now, all of them. That's a chore. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, what's what's the uh, the cop one? Um, it's so Maniac bad. Cop? No, which one? Maniac Cop. Maniac Cop. <laughs> all of those, right? I just watched them all and they're garbage, right? And I adored them. And it really, I don't, you know, it really helped me. You know, I'm, I'm not going to write an article about it because, I, you know, Maniac Cop and, and grief, you know, it might be a stretch, but it really helped me overcome that. It's a funny one, yeah. I, like, especially for me, it's the franchises and those sequels seem to be that real comfort spot. Yes. I, I'm not quite sure why it is. Maybe because partly you're possibly less familiar with some of the later franchise entries yeah. than you are with the other ones because like Halloween is my big franchise mm. and I adore the first film. But again, when it's late on a Saturday night, I'm going to I'm gonna throw on Halloween 4, maybe Halloween 6 just to fuck you people off. Well, what about Halloween 3? Well, you see, here's oh, the thing. Oh no, are you one of those people who don't like Halloween no, three? No, I'm Hall one of the people. Come on. I'm one of the people who likes Halloween three, but I have this weirdness about how it's retroactively become the cool one to like. Like nowadays, when you when you meet the people who are trying to show their props as a horror audience, they're kind of going, "Oh yeah, like I like the Halloween franchise, but of course Halloween three is the best." For me, that's like saying Friday the Thirteenth, love it. Part five, mm. nailed it. You know, see, Halloween I, <laughs> three was always meant to be a standalone film. It was and the end of that franchise, and it's a genuinely good film actually. And I think that's the why that's been rediscovered because it was unfairly maligned just for the fact that it yeah. didn't have like yeah. a tagline: "The night nobody came home." It's yeah. just such a oh, weird thing to do. Yeah, yeah, it's amazing. Uh, but you see, I think that does work and if they'd continued that way actually I think mm. it would have worked quite well uh, mm. I still love Michael Myers you can't do it and we no, will get on to Zombies Myers in a, in a bit I um, always <laughs> have to talk about zombies <laughs> but uh, it's yeah I don't know it's kind of a funny one like when I think of what other franchises kind of jumped the boat like that I guess Nightmare on Elm Street 2 mm -hmm. uh, very much changed the tone of it mm. do you think that like do you think all franchises do we need those ones that 
throw I, a major spanner into the works? Okay, so I think horror fans are tremendously clicky, yeah. right? And we, I mean, it's like, there's always this phrase that like, I, I do hate this phrase. Well, you're not a real horror fan unless you've seen. You're not a real, but we still, I still find myself saying it. And I still, you know, and it's kind of like, well, have you seen the third installment of the the, the franchise? It's not even that anymore. It's like, have you seen Halloween 6? The producer's cut. The producer's (laughs) cut. Not the director's cut. The producer's (laughs) cut. And all the little bits. I actually found the bits of film on the floor and stuck them together myself. You know, this sort of thing goes on. The TV edit of the original Halloween. It added depth. It added depth. And I think an awful lot of that is one-upmanship. I think we we love playing around with that sort of thing. Will we admit that they're absolutely atrocious? (laughs) Probably not, but we do love kind of this one-upmanship in horror. Yeah, we're, it's, we're it, bad. It's we're a strangely bad. kind of competitive world that way. And I, for me, one thing I love about horror fans is when they kind of don't give two shits whether you love it or not. They're like, I yeah. just love it. Oh yeah. You know, like when someone tells me they think Halloween Four is a terrible film, I'm like, I think you're a terrible human being because yes. I think it's great. And there's no need for other people to qualify. That's I think I get a bit more bothered when I I think people are telling me their favorite horror films are five films they think I'd like to hear. Yeah. Which yeah. I don't want. They don't have to be obscure actually. Yeah. If, if they're five obscure films, I'll also think you're lying to me yes exactly exactly <laughs> you know, you know uh, like when people say to me well you're into your zombie Sarah and it's like what's your favourite zombie film and I'm like oh god I hate that oh, question Carnival of Souls well, White Zombie let's go back into the black and yeah <laughs> well listen without going back too far you know uh, probably my favourite zombie film of all times is Day of the Dead of the three Day of the yeah, Dead it is okay. because I think it's the most nihilistic yes of all the three the first one is you know I mean it's just a standalone in yes. and of itself it's a perfect film yep. you know it's a piece of art and then you've got Dawn and everyone's in love with Dawn and we can wax lyrical about Dawn until the end of time but Day Day is just we're doomed it's done what happens after the apocalypse and it's just fascinating I actually agree because uh, I didn't realise for years after because I'd already I'd loved all the Romero well, the mm. first three particularly uh, zombie films and I didn't realise that there was such disregard for Day of the Dead yes, until later and really I was quite is. shocked by that now that yeah. seems again have come around uh, mm. again I think it's just people at a certain age were just disappointed because they were expecting I don't know what they were expecting the, the buffoonery you know? the yes. buffoonery isn't there that's I mean you know I mean look we got Goblin you know yeah. and just that beautiful song is so cool but in Day we don't have that reprieve that's true there's nothing it, but it starts Dark. It's dark. Uh, that wonderful it opening. Ends. Uh, it ends dark. But there's yeah. There's no. What actually? What's beautiful about day that is there is no question during it about are they really going to solve it? It's just it, it kind of becomes that question of who is going to turn out the light. Yeah. And and what do you do until? What do you do when yeah. you're that person? Do you keep struggling for yeah. it or? You know. I yeah. mean, you, they're all insane. I mean, they're all having these weird dreams. You have PTSD running through it. You have you know that beautiful scene with all the hands reaching out to grab her yeah I mean it's a marvelous it's it's a, for me personally it's it's the top one in the thrill and um, so or qu- quadro quadro qu- qu- well see oh, does it go all the way up to survival of the yes, dead yeah you know diary like, of the dead this we is don't the, know. the problem actually because yeah. like for me when I saw Land of the Dead in the cinema I was initially a little bit disappointed but I've come around to quite liking what it is yeah. and then Diary I struggle with and then I Survival like I really struggle with I like Diary really and I, yeah, it stands up to rewatch give it a rewatch give it a rewatch and 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 I think it's what I like what it does is is that it you know especially say for example in the context of Love Island <laughs> watch Diary of the Dead in the context of Love Island right 
Because what we have now is we've now hit peak saturation point in reality TV. Yes. Right, the Kardashians. We the, thought we'd reached it years ago, but apparently not. No, it keeps on coming. Yeah. So you watch something like Love Island and now they're all killing themselves. And there's a really dark theme now running through fame, which we knew was always there. I mean, right back to the Hollywood golden age was always there. But now we're seeing it in the tabloids. And it's it's horrific that people are actually putting themselves out there to their detriment. And that's essentially what Diary is doing. I mean, he dies to so in order to record what's going on. Yes. Okay. And I think that's, and that's what people are doing now with social media fame. And I think that was around 2005 or so. Yeah. Wasn't, that was actually, you know, that, that's that funny thing where things turn out to be a little bit more before their time than people thought. I know people have said the same thing about Scream 4 for Wes Craven, just yeah. even the idea of social media becoming, yeah. a, like whether the film is great or not. Yeah. But the concept actually... So yeah. coming. Yeah, absolutely. You know? And that's one of the reasons why when, when I was asked one of my, one of my favourite films um, was Pontypool. Yes. And Pontypool was really hitting those notes and that was a decade ago. 2008. If people God, it is 10 years. Mm, I know, it's if, scary. If, if you haven't seen Pontypool, can I just say, find it. It is, you know, it was one of those films that just caught me off guard. Yeah. Uh, it kind of creeped me and chilled me. Like the, the very base story of it and you're better off not knowing too too much going in mm. but it's, it is just a, a, a radio disc jockey yeah. guy he's in the station I'm pretty sure the whole thing is, is in that station it's all said in that sound booth and it's not unlike what we're in right now no, and there's just this <laughs> wonderful notion of language being a way to actually potentially transfer evil or yeah. you know disease or, or something that's wrong yeah. uh, and even in our current climate, I think it's actually an incredibly When you think of the film. cesspool that now is Twitter yeah. and the manner in which now we're struggling, liberals are struggling with this idea of freedom of expression. M- me personally, always, you know, if I'm allowed, if I'm allowed to say this, well, then Jimmy over there is allowed to say that. And you struggle with that a lot. But what Pontypool does is that it's created in this kind of vacuum in which bouncing around the walls is meaningless words meaningless but yet we're all driven towards these meaningless words and we're all become infected by the meaninglessness less <laughs> of words and that's what's happening then there is and there feels like and it's been years since I've seen it but there's this sort of inevitability of we can't kind of stop talking either no. that you know you even if we know it's doing the damage that we still feel the need to feed the empty airwaves like. we're still drawn towards talking crap yeah. all the time and we're still drawn towards looking at crap and it's to fill the void it's interesting just when you talk about just even the, the struggles of say liberals online do you think horror is conservative or liberal? I think horror is both Yeah, and it's always been quite comfortable with the fact that it's both so if you take something like um, probably one of the most conservative films that has ever been released which would probably be in most horror fans top 10 if not top 5 is The Exorcist Yeah, The Exorcist is horrifically conservative I mean you take the mother is essentially punished for having a job. If she didn't, st- if she stayed at home, Reagan would not be playing off in a room somewhere where um, she didn't know what was going on. If she took better care of her, if she wasn't out all the time. If she wasn't a single mum, if, if she, she kept the husband. Si- if she just kept that husband, he, you know, he would have kept the show going, the boat would have kept sailing and ultimately it takes two men to come in and sort everything out to holy men to holy men to come in and sort everything out it is one of the most conservative films and I mean it's it's even you know a girl, she's on the cusp of puberty and she has been punished for her womanhood 
Yeah, it, do you know what? It, it was fascinating because I'm a huge fan of The Exorcist and I remember at the year Everybody I was at the is. Horror Expo when you yeah. brought that up, it was such a, it was a wonderful revelation for me because you were absolutely right. Uh, and it's a strange one because I I still love The Exorcist all the same. It's Everybody not that does. like you, you can't, but you can't deny yeah. that oddness of it. Yeah. I remember the same with, I presume you saw the documentary Horror Noir. Yeah. About the, the, yeah. The, black history of horror films particularly but George and Peele talking about Candyman yeah. and this very strange note because I'm a huge fan of Candyman yes. I think it's an amazing yeah, yeah. film probably the yeah. best horror of the 90s mm. uh, and there's this strange notion of he was a, a black well, he wasn't a slave actually he was emancipated yeah. but he was killed by white slave owners uh, and brutally murdered by them and he comes back and haunts poor black people and yeah. takes his revenge on them Yeah, doesn't it never occurred to me that that's a yeah. very strange thing but when he said it, I was like holy shit you know yeah, there's complex. a very conservative strain to that. And I mean, a lot of, uh, but I mean, th- what was a revelation for me a couple of years ago was John Carpenter was once accused of having a very conservative spint on his heart. Was this the notion that people who have like premarital, if you have premarital sex, sex, or sex drugs, you're and you're going to take drugs and if you drink, you're screwed, quite literally, right? And I remember him saying, and, and this is kind of going back to the, to, the, to, the, to the point we were making before we went on air. Um, he said, I'm really sorry for ruining, you know, all these generations of kids, but I just had them screwing and drinking and taking drugs because that's what kids that's did. <laughs> and I think this goes back, you know, to personally to myself in my work is that you 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 have to kind of be a fan first and yeah. you have to appreciate the world first. You can't sometimes you can tack too much stuff on very much to films and as an academic I struggle with that because all we try to do is we take films and then we just take them apart I mean we're more brutal than any Michael Myers <laughs> we will take that viscera over our heads this 10 seconds where they walk down the corridor that is definitely that is, that a is commentary everything. on the socio-economic policies of Russia in the mid 1850s <laughs> probably is <laughs> but at the same time we have to tread so carefully with these films sometimes sometimes they are what they are yeah that's an interesting one because uh, I was re I was just re-watching uh, Halloween the other day because mm. I got it on Blu-ray and I'm just always fascinated to see how how good does it look yeah. now because some of these films just look so much better than they were ever even meant to look yeah. but I and I like because this is a, one of my favourite films definitely in my top five I wish more people could enjoy it as just what as it is as this beautifully yeah. constructed straight yeah. up thing that yeah. you know uh, and I actually don't mind people reading into things because I think that's interesting because we project ourselves into the situations yeah. but the need to enforce it and say well if you don't enjoy it on that level then yeah. you're not appreciating it yeah exactly and that's why there's you know there's there's certain sometimes I'll watch a film twice and once I'll watch it with a pen in my hand and the other time I'll watch it with my tongue hanging out and I enjoy both watches but I mean if you take something like one of my all time favourite horror films is Return of the Living Dead <laughs> like I adore that film I'll watch that probably once a month that film and that is a real tongue hanging out film but then I've also written on that and it is probably one of the most nihilistic you know zombie films out there because you can't kill the zombies and they yes. turn her and it's, and it's probably there's no stopping them there's no stopping and it's probably as salient now as it was in the 80s when it was first made is that there's a line in it and said but the film lied <laughs> But the foof or the movie lied. And it's I think that's probably as salient now is that we're so engrossed in what the telly tells us and um, what CNN is telling us is breaking news, what Fox is telling us. Like we 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 have completely lost our media um literacy. Yeah, that's interesting actually, because that's I say for me the challenge of a lot of 
horror filmmakers have nowadays is we are so savvy with yes. so many of the particular kind yeah. of traditional legends, so vampires, mm. zombies or anything like that. You get into this kind of weird area of how long do they spend establishing these rules and actually do we almost need, you know, the couple that that's circumvent I forget my word yeah. subversively move around something yeah. uh, around those notions where like if it's a vampire someone holds up some silver and there's yeah. just a kind you guys of are a talking laugh. about sparkles now because I will <laughs> leave the room I wasn't going to go there you are going I, there I will start defending the first toilet if you want oh my god uh, talk about censor I think that's the only time I'd ever come <laughs> down hard but do you know like uh, I can't remember was it John Carpenter didn't he produce was it vamp- not vampires was it Dracula 2000 who, oh was that yes some, yeah. maybe it was Wes Craven someone was involved in yeah. some kind of way but there was that notion of where a cross gets held up to a vampire and he laughs and says sorry mate I'm an atheist yeah. I thought that was a good line yeah, that it was is. a good line yeah. because and we have this arrogance of assumption of well we know those rules like the zombies yeah. shooting in the head but like Return of the Living yeah. Dead what if that doesn't work the movie lies what do you do then what do we do then and I think it's uh, you know I, I love films like that that turn things on its head but I think again going back to the 80s nostalgia I mean horror fans you know we, we love as much as alternative we, we are we love our rules and regulations yes Hence, probably why I've had more than one occasion stand up rows with people deciphering what's a zombie and what's not a zombie. Stand up rows. You know, it's 28 Days Later a zombie film. Does it bother you if he is or isn't a zombie? You see, I, 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 I call them a zombie film. For but me, they are, but they, they, they are, are in principle films. a zombie film. They are like, in principle, you know. but strictly speaking, yeah. a zombie is a dead person, reanimation, come back to life. Oh my God, I'm nerding out. But then, so... <laughs> we could do this for a oh, while. Oh, we could do this. This could Stephen be a whole, settle down there. This conversation is going to get deep. Podcast. If, if it's an infection where the person doesn't die and they're just infected, so therefore mm-hmm. they're not. They have to have died and mm. then come back. Yeah, is the only way. I still call them a zombie. I still call them a zombie, and I think you know one of the probably the biggest debates that exists within zombie um, lore is fast zombies versus slow, slow zombies. zombies. So, are you a fast or a slow man? See, a zombie it's got to be slow. <laughs> Why, Sarah? Uh, (laughs) No, it's a funny one, actually, because I'm a huge fan of 28 Days Later and that intensity that brought really brought new life into the genre, Mm -hmm. which I enjoyed. But it's the creeping dread of no matter how much you outwalk these creatures, that they're They're still. So even at night, in the dark, they're slowly shuffling towards you and that eventually you're going to have to slow down and they'll catch up. That's what gets me. That's what gives me chills. The relentlessness yes. of it all. It's yeah. the inevitability of yes. it. That it's like, it's death. It, you, yeah. you you can try and outrun it, mm-hmm. but it will get you eventually. So, mm-hmm. you know, you can tire yourself out. Yeah. It doesn't really matter. Yeah. It doesn't care. There's no emotions or feelings on the zombies yeah. point. They will just keep on coming. Absolutely. And I'm, I'm a slow girl now as well, I have to admit, because I think probably, again, 100% agree on what you just said, but the added dimension for me is, is just the absolute devastation of looking at somebody in the face who doesn't recognize you anymore. Yes. And people will unfortunately have to go through that if you know if if a parent gets Alzheimer's Absolutely. or if a friend gets Alzheimer's or if you've lost a friend to addiction. Yeah. Or severe depression and that person just does not recognize or is acting in a way that you don't recognize anymore. That's that's horror. You're right. I see it, like it, yeah, the lack of emotion and connection is, is what makes things scary, and particularly when it's someone you're close to. I yeah. think that is, and pretty much all the great zombie films have those moments yes. of revelation. Whether it's Johnny coming through the window and Night of the yeah. Living Dead, or yeah, uh, all the way through all the Romero ones, particularly, yeah. it's 
for me as well with zombie films, it's the moments where, and I think Night of the Living Dead almost did it the best. It's this quiet stillness where we just observe them eating, but there's just, again, no the connection. Daughter. It's just, the you know, but even the guys yes. outside, yeah. there's no angry ravaging. No. They're just slowly They're just mindless. mindless. Yeah. You know, and that's what Dawn of the Dead made it so chilling and stuff as well. It was this idea of fuck, there's just nothing to them. And yeah. actually, that's a lot more upsetting than something that has conviction trying to hurt yeah. you. Because you can fight that. Yeah. That's an ideology or whatever yeah. like that. You know? Yeah. You know, there's something kind of comforting almost about spirit, uh, speed. There's agency there. Yes. You know, and it's like, well, we, if we can destroy agency, then we can destroy the, the zombie. Whereas what do you do with just mindless, relentless onslaught of just this wave what do you do with that it's funny because I'm, I'm trying to remember back I don't know if Vincent Price's Last Man on Earth touched on it but I know that I Am Legend's story had it it's actually what bothered uh, whatever the main character's name is in his house mm. most was it was his next door neighbour at night calling his name calling out. his name out and it, so it's not just that they're, the whole world is fucked it's just yeah. this one person who yeah. is just calling your name over and over and there is the horror there is yeah. that I don't know, this this violation, which mm. seems so much more disturbing than, you know, horrific violence. You know, uh, it's that, that like that, um oh, and it's gone out of my head now, the Arnold Schwarzenegger horror zombie. Maggie. I love that. <laughs> it's a good film. I'm a big it, Arnie fan. I loved it. Yeah, I and thought he did, I thought he did a good job. I, I thought think, he tried. I think he <laughs> patronised son of a bitch. I loved that film because what that film really, really, you know, first of all, Arnie can do no wrong. And second of all, it was just this... You know, it's very much um, similar to um, a book by um, S.G. Brown, Breathers. I haven't read that. It came out at the exact same time as Isaac Marion's um, the the uh, true not the the blood. What was it called? The the romantic zombie film that came out a couple of years ago. Um, Warm Bodies. Oh yes, yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. So it came out at the exact same time, and one got bleh, and one got bleh. yeah. And in um, Breathers, basically the zombies come back, but they um, they're they're second class citizens, and people are afraid to know them. People are afraid to talk to them, so they become this kind of you know subhuman subclass. Um, and I think the, the you know the Irish film The Cured. I yes. think they did an amazing job with this idea of the second class citizenship of zombies. And you know, purists may argue, but I love sentient zombies. I yeah. love them because and Romero touched upon that from the start. Yeah, he was working. Yeah, he did that. He from was the always start. working towards that. You know, this is nothing new. This idea of sentient zombies. So this idea that they can retain something but still want to eat you. You know, they can retain a portion of who they were but they, they it's it's almost like drug addiction they they are depression they they they're still there but there's there's nothing behind the eyes it's an interesting yeah you know because the cure did touch on that and i thought that was a really good place mm. to try and take those things too was it joe dante's masters of horror episode homecoming yeah. as well that idea if yeah. dead soldiers could come back would they vote yes. for the same president that's Again, a gr- and that's a very underappreciated little short it is it? yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. it's it just again whether it, it like it's fully successful as its own piece maybe not but the idea is a, is a great thing where you've yeah. got to wonder yeah, uh, and that for me is the best place for us. Particularly, particularly zombies. Actually, they yeah. work very well in the political they do. kind of climate. They do. Um, on just because I know the censorship, morality stuff yeah. is part of your your oeuvre. Um, is there a particular like what what do you think are let's say the most shocking or violent films out there? And then following that up is is there ever a cause for censorship? 
Okay, so basically, I'll, I'll answer the first question first, I think. And everyone has their line in the sand, okay? And I think they have it as, as somebody, as a horror professional, you'll have probably a professional line in the sand, but then you'll have a line in the sand that probably jumps over that by a mile. But Agreed. it's still there in your personal life. Yeah. It's still there. Um, Professionally and personally, I are a little bit more intertwined with myself. And I think as far as I'm concerned, consent is my only line in the sand. Okay. I genuinely believe consent is my only line in the sand. Um, will I like the film? No. Will I watch it? If, if I know enough about it to not watch it, I probably won't. I'm not a big fan of the Human Centipede um, series of films. Yeah. Do I have any problems with it? No, yeah, no, I'm just not a big fan, especially two. Um, two I was going to say is, actually because like the first one yeah. is it's kind of gross, but in that way that you're sort of looking to be, you know, yeah. And in fact, I expected it to go worse. Yeah, two's nasty. Two and is that's nasty. different. It's and not it's, just gross; it's nasty. It's it's nasty, and it's got um, it's got also then that line in it where you know they they they, they see the film, so then they get and then they, and then that tramples all over my thesis then. <laughs> Where you can't be corrupted by watching a horror film. Um, so I I don't find it problematic. I just don't like it. Um, but my line in the sand has always been consent. So I'm, I get very uncomfortable with talking about Cannibal Holocaust. Okay. Even though I spent a lot of time and I've an entire chapter dedicated to video nasties, I kind of gloss over. Well, I, I make reference to it, but I gloss over Cannibal Holocaust because of the turtle scene. Yeah. Um, animals can't give consent. Um, children can't give consent. Um, so as far as I'm concerned, professionally speaking, that's my line in the sand. Everything else is allowed. I'm not going to like it. Yeah. I don't have to like it. You I can turn over. Yeah. I don't have to watch it. And that's yeah. my approach to censorship. I agree with you on the, like, there's plenty of films I don't like. There's a couple I think are nasty in a way that if there was to be censorship I could understand why or maybe mm-hmm. I just struggle to understand why someone would enjoy it say yeah. Centipede 2 mm. uh, I guess in on some ways scenes in a Serbian movie but even the original I Spit on Your Grave yeah. you know very very rough uh, yeah. particularly in the first half again the, the wonderful world of rape revenge where it's like mm. yeah but she gets her revenge but it's like yeah but I went through 40 minutes of you know so I'm I'm an apologist I'm an ap- I'm very oh I like I, Spit on Your Grave don't yeah, worry yeah <laughs> I'm an apologizer I have to say for I Spit on Your Grave I think all three of us <laughs> myself Carol Clover and Mario Starr I think um, was one of the very first reviewers to come out and say okay guys I like it and then cover his head from the pelting of stones that he got the reason why I like that film is because first of all it, it's etymology or it's 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 um, it's um, where it came from essentially mm. and where that he um Mary Zachary actually saved a rape victim. I remember hearing that. Yeah, yeah it's a very actually. In fact, because a lot of people don't know this, so mm. so basically, himself and his daughter were going down the street one day, and a naked, bloodied woman came out of a bush. I mean, we talk about imagery where he got it from. So this naked, bloody woman came out of a bush. He dropped the daughter home, and then in that split decision. Uh, split moment, he made a decision to bring her to the guards as opposed to bringing her to the hospital. Because he believed, uh, and and the argument is there 100%, that he wanted to bring her to the guards so that this guy would not go on and commit um, more acts and that he would get reprimanded as quickly as possible and then she could deal then with the physical uh, callity of it then after the fact. When she got to the guard station, um, they wrote her off. They just said, you know, well, what were you doing? What were you know? Were you wearing a short skirt? You know, the usual blah blah blah. Things have changed. No, they haven't. So we were in a short skirt, blah 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 blah. And he realized there and then that rape justice doesn't exist. And it's 2019, and as a woman, 
I'm saying that. And that's a pretty dramatic, you know, burn my bra thing to say. And, you know, I'm not a man hater, none of this sort of stuff. But it, it doesn't. It doesn't. It's still very hard to prosecute. It, it hasn't changed at no. all. And actually people, they, they pay lip service to these notions, but actually it, it's, it's it's ignorant to just uh, say, well, because I said I don't agree with it, therefore the world is fine. Absolutely. No. So what I love, absolutely love, 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 love about um, I Spit on Your Grave is that the one tool that she's essentially quote unquote um, victimised for, which is her sexuality, yeah. you know, because we have all these long protracted scenes of her um, being, you know, legs and the short... The, well, she's not wearing a short skirt, but she's, the legs are there. Yes. And obviously even the poster is undeniable. You know, her backside, well, yeah. right? Her sexuality is there. But I'm, and, and many more, I think, make the argument is that her sexuality is weaponized in I Spit on Your Grave. But she chooses to weaponize she it back against the weaponizes people. weaponizes yeah. her sexuality. And it's through her sexuality that she defeats the men. So instead of her sexuality being a negative thing that, you know, all oh, that short skirt, ah, oh, that knickers, that's yeah. going to get you. She goes, well, you know what? You don't mess with a woman's sexuality because that's what's going to happen. Do you know what was interesting to me on that, actually? Because, yeah, I have this strange relationship with I Spit in Your Grave as well. It was, I first... I think the first time I saw it is the IFI. God mm. knows how many years ago did this wonderful censorship. Sh- you know, it's still banned season. in Ireland on DVD. Is it? Yeah. Because they showed, it was part of the, yeah, so it was censorship. So they showed the uncut versions of Todd Browning's Freaks, I Spit in Your Grave, and I can't remember what the third one was, but it was... Twilight. <laughs> <laughs> no one's ready for that version. Um, it was just really, really interesting because it, it hadn't lost any of its punch, no. uh, which was, it, it must have been at least 30 years after it had mm. been released the time I saw it. Um, I I go forward and back on the earlier part being the, the main focus on the rape because as a filmmaker, I believe that anytime you deal with these kind of issues, you should actually honestly portray how awfully barbaric and horrific it is. I, I'm more uncomfortable with films that kind of gloss over it as in no big deal. Yes. And yet, obviously, it is fairly laboured in the film. But again, you know, these, these horror acts have such a huge impact on people. Mm-hmm. Maybe they should be it's it's a it's a tricky one actually because yeah. you know the liberal part of me thinks maybe it's good that there was this incredibly horrific scene in it mm. which sounds contradictory but mm. it isn't necessarily yeah uh, I do love the notion of her revenge and it's weird because I've argued with some people on this where they think that it's unbelievable that after so basically for anyone who hasn't seen the film I'd be mm. surprised if you haven't but uh, it's. She she's brutally raped by the men. I think they leave her for dead, don't they? They do leave her for dead, and then they send back one of their posse who has obvious intellectual disabilities. Yes, and they send him back to finish the job. Yes, yeah, that's what and it he is. doesn't. And so what she does then is she quite proudly turns up and intimates to the guys that she actually potentially enjoyed the act and would like to see it further, and the men fall for it. Mm-hmm. And I know some people are kind of going, there's no way a man would be that dumb. But honestly, because I've spoken to men who who don't believe they've done bad things, mm-hmm. but, but women have told me that they have. Yeah. They, they don't get it. Yeah. And actually, I think a lot of men would be ignorant enough to believe that yeah. maybe. And I mean, look, it's it's set in a hyperbolic scenario. Yeah. It's, it's completely hyperbolic. And, you know, thankfully, 90%, 99% of women, well, I don't know about the, the statistics, but most women 
hopefully it won't go through something as hyperbolic as that. But most women will, will have encountered something uncomfortable that, you know, society would deem not necessarily. But why are you freaking out over that? And in most cases, there is no justice, mm. you know. So that's with I spit on your grave. I think people need to revisit it within the 2019 context because she gets her revenge. She certainly does. And you know, you know, I find it very affecting still, particularly yeah. the bathtub scene. There's just, it's it's quite a simple scene where she yeah. slices and, and blood sprays, but it, as a man, you you feel. Oh, that, I'm that sure you do. Revenge. You feel on many levels. Yeah, and it's not film. as graphic as other No, films it's quite artistic, yeah. actually. Yeah, uh, how she does it. What's your thoughts on the remake of I Spit in Your Grave? Um, I, I like it. It's a bit slash and gash yeah. for me. Um, I, I don't think, again, it had the, the kind of, the, de- it's, 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 Dare I say it's too pretty? Yeah, it's weird. It's polished. They it's actually polished. they they the actors are able to in some act. ways, but it feels like a, a movie. While it does. I think I spit in your grave, and I would say chunks of Last House on the Left as well. To me, have this really unnerving, yeah. real feeling. You know, Last House, and and you know, it, you you've mentioned Halloween earlier as well. And when I, I'm talking about horror and in terms of you know the 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 idea that there is a lowercase I'm, I'm all about me capitalization that there is a lowercase evil in existence which is a lot more problematic than anyone can really cope with is that there's two scenes that I always reference and one of them is and I sp- is um I spit is in last house yeah and the other one is in the first Halloween yeah in the first Halloween, it's when she's grappling with Michael and the the, the, the mask slightly comes off you and face. you're expecting this hideous Jason-esque, you know, creature from the lagoon to be pulled back. And you're kind of left with this kind of, no, he's not good looking, he's not bad looking, he's just, just a, a boy, guy. Just, a guy. just yeah. a guy that you would literally walk past a million times on your way to get a bottle of milk. Um, and that's more scary then it's just a guy and you, the mask comes down again. You're all oh, the monster and again. And the music Phew. kicks back in, yeah. And the scene in um, Last House that I always find beautifully problematic is when they finished off that, or there's a, a very um, excessive protracted rape scene cleaning in that. Hands. And they're cleaning their hands. Yeah. And there's that moment of recognition where they're all looking around going, uh-oh. They're we washing went, the blood and kind of like this sort we of went sticks too and stuff and they have because it's been in pure glee up to that point and there's this really and it's, it's and it's long yeah it's, it's long too, it's, it's uncomfortably I long I find it very affecting that bit because there's this slow dawn across the group without any of them communicating with each other we've, we've, what they've we've done, done goofed here, yeah. and their faces just change and there is a moment where humanity returns and they realise how appalling they are yeah. and then it switches on and, they and carry we're not off. comfortable with that as a society. No. We don't like to see humanity in the monster. And that's why I think, you know, horror has always been blamed so much. Um, and especially horror fans have been maligned as these kind of weird creatures that, um, you know, he did that because he was into horror. He wore black. He's a monster. Well, we're, we're really, really uncomfortable with the idea that bad people can do good things and good people can do very, very bad things. Yes. We're, we, we, we're not able to kind of um, sort that out in our heads quite yet. Yeah, people aren't okay with dealing with that. No. And do you know what I, what I want to do? We love it? monsters. Yes. And I guess it's, it's a tough thing because in some ways people are sort of touching on it now, whether it's their reboot worlds or reimagining where they kind of want to explain the monster, but that's different. What mm. I want, and it's something I've worked on a couple of scripts, but I've never actually put it to screen yet, like is the notion of uh, an evil 
spirit or creature can do good but that doesn't mean at the end that it is now a good yeah. it is still equally as evil it just exactly. for that particular scenario it was appropriate for them to you know Absolutely. and horror I think has always tried to push this idea that the monster isn't necessarily evil Yes, that the monster, and I think that comes back all the way Go to, to Frankenstein, to Frankenstein. <laughs> and the famous lake scene. Yes, because the flower, the girl, the flower, and I actually have that image that as a still over my bed in my house. Like it's an ama- It's probably for me one of the most important scenes in horror history. Explain the scene for people who haven't seen this. So basically, this film was o- this this one scene was actually only restored in the sixties, I think, as far as so thirty years after the fact it was restored. So basically, when um, Frankenstein, uh, James Wales Frankenstein, was created, um, they he made the film, and there's a scene in it where the monster, having been castigated by everybody, having been released to the world, is found a friend in Little Maria, and Little Maria says five, six, cute as a button, little thing, stumbles across, stumbles across, and they're playing daisies, and they're making daisies, and they're playing with daisies, and they're making daisy boats, and she's the first person I think to show him kindness, any sort of kindness. Yeah. So they're what they're doing is they're plucking the heads off the daisies and they're throwing them into the lake. And Frankenstein, Frankenstein's monster then seeing how much fun that this is, he picks up little Maria, not knowing the consequences of throwing a child into the lake will result in her drowning. And they came back when, when the scene was made and they came back and said, no, no child is going to die on our screen. We can't have that. So what they did was, was they edited rather clunkily and most censors aren't film critics. Agreed. Remember that, guys, because that's the big no-no here. What they did very clunkily was they took out that scene. So what you have is Frankenstein's monster look at her almost lecherously yeah. because it's out of context. And then it shoots to a scene where little Maria's limp dead body is being held by her father with a lynch mob behind. And the connotation here is even more nefarious and insidious because she's got her stockings down. They're down, yeah. And that's always coded as sexual assault when we see the stockings down. So on a subconscious level, a sexual assault has taken place. On a conscious level, the monster is evil. And that idea continued on. Whereas if you go back to the stem of the word monster... It, the monster means to demonstrate. Okay. I That's the stem that. of the... Demo- so, you know, when you say... Dem- so, yeah, okay. when you say... When someone says you're very demonstrative. Yeah. So, that's like... Bleh flaking around the place and showing hands and let me show you over here. And that's a demonstrative person. So, that's the stem of that word. So, the monster is there to demonstrate. Not to be, but to demonstrate the evils around them. It's funny as well, though, because like that... Accidental... Uh, shall we say, the censorship creating this other kind of nefarious assumption about the monster is so true in so many ways for any kind of these notions of evil or not, where yeah. because we block out any sense of that humanity, yeah. we create an image of them actually being much more evil than they even were. You yeah. know, uh, yeah, it's, it's because that scene always haunts me. I, that yeah. and uh, the Pamela Carrie just sit in me yeah. on that emotional level of, I I go into the prom scene at Carrie understanding her and actually yeah. wanting her to but every it doesn't I justify it, it I don't want her to do it no I'm like no she's not going to do but it but it doesn't justify her behaviour but the reaction in me is fuck them oh yeah uh, and yeah. I think that's what's interesting because it challenges you on that because I will admit that is not a good thing to murder everyone in the room because a lot of those people did nothing to her and Absolutely. yet the emotion I completely understand I yeah. think Pama handles that just 
mm-hmm. amazingly. Yeah. Particularly because in Carrie, just the lead up to that is the most beautiful happy moments. Oh. And Sissy Spacek is so incredible. It's Amazing. heartbreaking. It's her heartbreaking. eyes are just, yeah. she is having the best time of her life. And every yeah. time I watch it, I kind of go, this is great. Yeah, this you're is rooting wonderful. for her with her lovely homemade dress. <laughs> Little Tommy. You're, oh, you're just rooting for her every time. But I think that's why we're so fascinated with true crime right now. You know, it was, as I was going back earlier, as I said, these kind of cycles that we go through and we're fascinated. Now, that's nothing new. We were crazy into our crime. I mean, that's going all the way back before horror um, had its day in the 1930s. Um it was all about crime films. Mm. Horror actually, was the word horror wasn't even used. They were called terror films. So we were crazy into our, um, into our crime films. And then we had that again in the 1940s. And we had it again in the kind of the late 80s, early 90s with thrillers. Yeah. So we're going back into our kind of like our crime, true crime phase now again. We're fascinated by it. And I think that's why people are fascinated by serial killers because they are anomalies and they're safe. Ted Bundy is safe because he's an anomaly. Yes. Okay. The next door neighbour who kills his wife brutally is not safe. You know, we've had countless cases in Ireland where men have killed their families. Mm. That's not safe. Yeah. That's terrifying. Ted Bundy is safe because he's, 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 he's an anomaly. It's easier to write him off as he's, in like yeah, he was just... Casey yeah. is safe because he's an anomaly. You know, whereas... The dude down the street who takes a figari and shoots up a secondary school. He ain't safe. Yeah. So and no easy answers for that kind no of No easy answers. Yeah. Right. Before <laughs> I let you go, there's two things I need to touch on. Okay. Firstly, because we haven't actually talked about any kind Anything. of new films. We're but not, that's sorry. okay. <laughs> uh, I do want to just touch on your thoughts on Midsummer because yeah. I'm curious. Uh, or Midsummer, depending yeah. how you want to say Midsummer. it. Midsummer. Uh, and then we're going to have to have a little chat about Rob Zombie because of course. We, do, we don't have everyone else in the room to give out to us. So we're just going to... No, we're just... Go oh my God. Are we just like Rob Zombie fans gone wild? We're just going to say that 100% of the people in the room are going to defend Rob it's Zombie. It's like spring too. break. We're so, just going to go wild. Take our tops off everything. Well, I'm not going to say no. Stephen... It is a Rob Zombie film. <laughs> Can we go? So Midsummer first of all, thoughts generally? Um, Again, I think we're veering towards Stranger Things a little bit with Midsummer. Um, ah. Absolutely gorgeous. Yes. Stunning. Stunning. One of the most beautiful films. Worth the cinema trip for alone, the imagery. Yeah. Alone, alone, alone. But I think it is problematic in the sense that, again, unlike the original Wicker Man, which yes. had this beautiful... But you can't so talk about this without Wicker Man. You can't. You can't. You know. And I think that's the thing as well, is I think that there isn't enough context being given to Midsummer because people are approaching Midsummer like, oh my God, this wild new... What is it? folk hard they've yeah. invented a new subgenre and it's like you know you're one of Ireland's leading folk horrorists in terms of Cronwood <laughs> I mean folk but, but again you didn't invent no, folk not in horror the slightest. Uh, um, folk horror has been around you know since horror since Grimm but I think humanity's always struggled with its you know, question of whether the old times were better or worse mm-hmm. and that desire to be nostalgic about it yeah. and assume that it's better or worse yeah uh, what I love because The Wicker Man is one of my favourite films yeah. of all time uh, and you can obviously see that if you watch Chrome Wood because it's, it's very indebted to it. What's that famous thing? Oh God, no! Yeah. Oh God, no! <laughs> Edward Woodward. But oh God, I, no! I, I'm pretty sure whichever cut you watch of Wicker Man is between 90 minutes and 100 minutes mm. and it does the full story and I think it does its justice. Yeah. I think there's a lot of great stuff in Midsummer, like a lot yeah. of good stuff. Two and a half hours. 
It's a bit of a bum burner. I honestly think I could cut 50 minutes out of that and you yeah. wouldn't lose any of the impact of the film. In yeah. fact, I think it would be stronger. It would be a stronger film. It's, it's, it's a big bur- bur- bum burner and I am the most awkward person to sit behind as well in the cinema because <laughs> I have a floating piece of coccyx in my backside so after about an hour I start squirming in the seats. Non-stop so, like? Oh, non-stop. <laughs> oh, like I have to sit at the back sometimes or else I'm just like quiet down. Um, So I found it to be a bit of a bum squirmer as well and just the, just the, the heart wasn't there for me the yeah for me with Midsummer, the they're actually very similar to Red Tree in certain ways there's bits where I wasn't sure whether it was trying to be horrific or absurdist and I wasn't sure if he wanted me to be amused or horrified or maybe both yeah. at certain moments so a little bit kind of in the way in which Sallow yes. deals yeah. with is this horrific or is this or is this lampoon or yes. is this burlesque you know, I th- I felt a little bit like that. In it felt very similar to yourself. Sounds a different level, though. Like <laughs> that's another podcast to discuss. But again, there is. But again, there is burlesque moments in that. No, there is actually. Yeah, for me with Silo, if if anyone hasn't seen it, uh, Pasolini. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he died before it was released. He did. He yeah. murdered. Murdered. Right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, it it just it involves severe degradation of I guess lower class people by upper class people it involves people eating poop off plates and stuff like that see I think it goes sallow into my head because I think the poster for Midsummer is very evocative of sallow that's true actually the, the I'll give you that the scream the yes. scream there I just I don't know I got into my head and I, I think you're on what's her name Florence Pugh mm. I thought she was very good in Midsummer. Yeah. I think the first 10 minutes are spectacular yeah uh, there is a cry of grief within the first 10 minutes that I found devastatingly effective yeah. and real. Uh, yeah. And those are the really powerful moments. I thought I love for once to see a relationship where two people clearly shouldn't be together and they're together for the wrong reasons. <laughs> That's kind of nice because we're so used to the cute, happy things mm-hmm. and they should be like actually, yeah, well, potentially well-intentioned, but also... It was, you know, I, I wouldn't go so far as to say meh, but definitely lately I'm 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 really, really slow to watch these big, big, big blockbuster films because it's kind of like that. I feel like those horror fans that go along to horror fans eh, didn't scare me. Yes. And while I loathe that expression, I don't think horror films should ever have to scare you. They don't know you nothing. They don't know you nothing. Horror films are not necessarily meant to horrify. But what I'm always afraid of is these big, gigantic films that I feel like are going to be life changing and that, you know, this is it. I can retire. I never see, need to see a horror film ever again. And I go to them and I'm like, oh. yeah. <laughs> I think because this is so beautiful, you actually were kind of going, I'm in in a lot of this. And if you could have nailed it more, this could have been wonderful. I think maybe that's yeah. where the frustration comes from, this feeling of this could have been It could have been. It. So, like, you know, I mean, you take something like A Field in England. Yes. Which is one of the creepiest folk cars, you know, ever Yeah, another invented. one to check out, people, if you haven't, actually. Uh, and very ben underrated. Weekly. Yeah. Very underrated. It's got this beautiful, eerie, uncanny, rotten, need to take a shower feeling throughout the whole thing um, that I got more from. Yeah, and it, it's weird because I think in the shorter running time of The Wicker Man, they actually deal a lot more with, you know, it, it, they're short pieces, but in The Wicker Man, you very clearly understand why people are acting a certain way. And even at the end, there is those moments of questioning, of realizing that if this doesn't work, where to from here? Like, where yeah. are we leading to? Yeah. Which Midsummer doesn't actually, even in its longer running time, ever get to touch There's on. no justification. Like, no. you can actually justify the stuff that, well, <laughs> if you're that way inclined, you can justify what's going on in Wickerman, which within Midsummer, it's just gorgeous. Yeah, it is. And you're kind of going, this gorgeous. is a much more beautiful version of that, yeah. but without all the impact. Absolutely, yeah. It, it's yeah. weird. I would still say it is worth a cinema oh. trip. It, like, it, it, is, it is long, but it is one to see on the big screen. Yeah. It's beautifully designed. There's a gorgeous, when they're dancing around the pole, one of the scenes like it, it's 
it's yeah. just wonderfully filmed and it's uh, this you know it's this idea of daylight horror which yeah. again is is nothing new is nothing new but it is great to see daylight horror you don't see horror. it as much anymore you don't see it as much yeah. no everything is boo horror and this is very much daylight yes that's definitely yeah. something we've got stuck on I, I, I liked Hereditary I, I didn't love it as much as other people possibly did. I loved Hereditary right up until the, the end. We, we had an email Denimon, correspondence yeah, yeah. about this and the, the they just threw away the end. It was like the, you come for pints. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Honestly, it felt like that. Well, I would say for me, uh, if you're if you were a fan of that in Hereditary or if you weren't sure, me, the Irish film A Dark Song actually yeah. did a much better job at landing yeah. that ending uh, or in that direction because I think that's quite a yeah. powerful uh, A much more ambiguous film. kind of Yeah, and it deals it. with grief and loss as well in the same way Hereditary did but yeah. in a small way so definitely worth checking out if you haven't seen it. Um, and actually on that point of Irish horror, Sarah, Yeah. what, like, Ireland actually has a tradition of horror more than people actually realise yeah. when it comes to movies. Yeah. What ones stand out to you? What do you like? Uh, other than Cronwood. Under, other than the wonderful <laughs> Cronwood. Still not available in Ireland and England, but if you're in America, you can watch it. I love The Cured. I absolutely loved it. Um, it was it, it was a zombie film with intelligence and it was a zombie film with heart. Um, and I think that's very much capturing the kind of the type of horror in which I love in which you can read on multiple levels where yeah you can get scared by the big monster coming to eat you but also as well it's got this tremendous intelligence and heart to it. I because I I loved what the cure was going for. I mm. felt it suffered a little bit just from not having the budget to allow. It. Just there's the few scenes when it felt like there should be a few more yeah. zombies that didn't have it. And I, you know I know that's because I don't blame the film. That's just you yeah. can't get the money for these things. You see, I missed it a bit. You see, as a, as a big gigantic uh, zombie fan, I'm not. I'm never too worried by what I call fresh zombies. I mean, if you take something like that Canadian film, The Battery, yes, which was made the for six grand. Film. One of the standout zombie films for me personally, and they got some pretty fresh zombies going on in that, you know what I mean? So that personally wouldn't be a denouncement on my part, you know? Yeah, no, no, I get it. It's funny because I'm trying to even think back for, obviously, well, Francis Coppola came over here and made Dementia 13 a long time ago, but whether it's our own Conor McMahon's, uh, you know, Brain Eater moving on to Brain Dead. But and zombie bashers. zombie bashers. Can I just say that, Connor? I know you're not here, but whenever I'm feeling a bit down, as a Wexford woman, I love putting on <laughs> zombie bashers. And here, it's 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 everything. It's there, brilliant. That that did deserve its own spin-off movie. And actually, we must talk to Connor someday about I would why that didn't. Crown there was that. a script. Uh, so I would remortgage. Yeah, I would must, do whatever it takes. We must hear because actually, but I'm even thinking. Uh, I really liked Isolation. Mm, did you see that? It's kind of a, yeah. a, a farm horror. Again, I, I can't remember. I'm presuming kind of early 2000s. And there's not many farm horrors. No, and it's, it's kind of like Alien on a Farm yeah. to some extent, but it was just done really well. It you was. Know, uh, and when you think about actually, you know, a farm, it's it's an uncanny place. Yes. And especially rural Irish farms are very uncanny because we have this whole um, kind of lore of the old bachelor. And I mean, what the hell is he getting up to with his sister? You know what I mean? And they're just kind of, you know, we've always kind of been quite comfortable with the fact that there's incest and all sorts of things going on in Ireland. But we've never made that much horror about it. No, it's funny. And I think that's when Irish horror is at its best is when it's touching on, like we we're taking these genres that we know and love from yeah. across the world, but we're putting our spin on In the same way, I think yeah. J-Horror did where yeah. they brought the ghost story. And of course they have these traditions of these things, but we saw their spin on it. Yeah. And it, it was so much more interesting than all the stuff we'd seen yeah. before. Um, obviously the Cure yeah. uh, uses, you know, the... Like Northern Ireland it, it yeah. deals with a lot of the themes of yeah. that um, The Lodgers recently touched yes. on and what a beautiful again shot in Wexford <laughs> beautiful looking film 
beautiful film. film. Um, you know, and again, did did very well. Yeah, uh, internationally, I'm pretty sure that's on Netflix now. If you want to check it, it out, was written by David Turpin. David Turpin, film that's Ireland it. Uh, alumni. Is alumni is that the word we use? Yeah. Um, but. I actually had a chance to see the other day, thanks to Ali from our group, a special screening of Extraordinary. Have you heard of this film? No, no. So Extraordinary, I think, just won Best Film at Galway, okay. the Galway Film Fla. And it, do you know what? I just had a wonderful time. Mm. So it's, it's a comedy horror, and mm-hmm. so comedy before horror on it, but it is directed by Micah Hearn and Enda Luckman. Mm-hmm. And do you know what's lovely about watching kind of say a comedy horror because it's not really trying to scare you but it's made by people who love horror films. So is it is it in the vein of Grabbers or? Do you know it's because I love I, Grabbers. I, I would say for people who love Father Ted right. it's this kind of uh, humour where it's Maeve Higgins is the main right. uh, actress in it. She's a stand-up comedian yeah. and she's she's very very funny. They wrote it for her in mind but it's just it is, it is about someone who uh she used to kind of help track down ghosts with her dad back in the the eighties, and so there's these old videotapes of the RTE TV show, yeah. and when they were on Nationwide, and then it's just something bad happened to her, and she's kind of pulled out of retirement to help a, a poor man called Martin Martin yeah. to uh, help with his, a problem his child has. But there's just something wonderful about that Irish sense of humor and bringing that kind of colloquial countryness the dumb, the the dumb believable kind, kind of it stuff. is yeah because yeah. like the beginning like no, they, they start off with the notion about how hauntings are actually not as big as, as you've been led to believe so <laughs> they show like have you ever seen a haunted gravel and you see a single piece of gravel roll across the yeah, ground yeah. Oh my God, whenever brilliant. a green uh, recycling bin the lid blows up that's a haunting and so it's just this lovely idea of this smallness and it's something that I think will actually travel very very well and yeah. apparently it's doing great at festivals yeah but just that Irish sense of humour even about yeah. that's the kind of stuff we can giggle about. Yes. Without ever, we're not playing up to any kind of cheesiness against yeah. us. I would definitely say that. I think A Dark Song, people could argue whether it's an Irish film or not because yeah. it's a Welsh director. Yeah. Really strong Irish horror yeah. film to watch. Great uh, horror, I yeah. found that, like it, it got to me. I, I, I felt mm. the emotion for it. Mm. Um, I'm trying to think what else have we got? Well, most recently I saw The Hole. Oh, yeah. The Hole in the Ground. The I haven't the seen that yeah. yet. Yeah. yeah. Loved it. Yeah. I, lo- I loved its approach to um, did very well at Sundance to, very much so and it very much kind of its major peaks then was obviously an exploration of, of depression and the manner in which you know this idea that there is a hole constantly there and the ending for me personally actually because we were talking about earlier how so many horror films they throw away their endings yes. and it's like I call it this scum for a pint mentality whereas I think that Almost the opposite with A Hole in the Ground. So much emphasis went into the ending of this film. It really, really, for me, just hit the nail on the head with that because um, it, it, it doesn't necessarily summarise anything for us but and it doesn't make us necessarily feel okay with the world, which I don't think... I think good horror always should leave us go a little bit kind of looking over our shoulder as we leave the cinema. I couldn't, couldn't agree more. Is there anything you can think of from an Irish point of view that we have not explored whether culturally that we should have or... or... Um, I th- I loved that. Um, what I thought was great was the um, the famine um, block, but what was oh, the... the uh, black... Black 47. Black 47. Yes. I loved. It was like, we in our house, we call um, any kind of like gun films like you know John Wick or anything like that we call them bang bang films so anything where like people are going bang 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 yes. bang bang and I thought Black 47 was like a famine black bang bang film and I loved seeing the kind of the approach to the famine which wasn't necessarily the whole flannel blind bale bucked yes aren't your own eating spuds and raw dying you know um, or 
I loved seeing it, you know, a, a, an agency there. Isn't that the beauty of genre that you can actually kind of talk about something without mm. having to get to it doesn't have to be under the Hawthorne tree you know yeah. nothing against doing anything yeah. like that but yeah we don't need the Schindler's list of famine films yes we can actually talk about it true yeah you know, I lo- and there was a, and it wasn't necessarily irreverent because I know a couple of years ago there was issue with a joke made around famine or something do you remember that and uh, yes we're, we're, we can laugh there's a lot of things we can laugh at but we're still not okay with the famine I don't Neil think Jordan was trying for well over a decade to make his famine film and he was told yeah. there was, that people weren't interested the in appetite it. wasn't there which is crazy because when Black 47 came out everyone was, seemed to be delighted that there's finally something yeah it, and uh, I really really love that film I, I think it, it should have done bigger and should have done a lot more with this. Yeah. Um, I'd like to see more, um, like, I guess, thriller, but like, you know, psychological thriller, dark psychological thriller. More De Palma-like films. Give me a bit yeah. of, you know... Because uh, we've got a lot of disturbing people running around Ireland right yeah. now. Yeah, I, I want a bit of the melodrama, but also to talk yeah. about what's going on behind, like your Twin Peaks type thing. It's what's happening next door. Yes, <laughs> you know, and I think we're still, we're, st- you know, considering we are a country of curtain twitchers, um, I would love to see more of that kind of what's happening next door, psychological horror. You know, something like, um, oh, that film, The Drugstore, where he he, he um, does the photographs. Uh, one hour photo? One hour photo. I'd love to see more stuff like that. Perfect. Yeah. Okay, then let's jump in our shortest version ever of Rob Zombie of photography. Sarah? Yes? Rob Zombie's Mark? a good filmmaker. Oh my God, amazing. <laughs> this, I okay. am not, I'm unclear why this is such a controversial thing to say. Um, because I think I'm a Rob Zombie fan. Yes. Right, first and foremost. And I've always been in right, White, White From Zombie. From White Zombie all the all way through. The way through. <laughs> and if you like his, if you like his music, then you obviously have seen his music videos. Yes. Which I adore his music videos. And some of his lesser, well-received films, the merit in them, at the very least, is that they're like big, long music videos. Yes. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, people s- try to criticise them for that sometimes and I'm kind of going, I'm kind of okay but with But I'm that okay sometimes. with yeah. that. So that's kind of like, you know, I, I, I'm okay with that. Now, does everything he's, he does deserve an Oscar? No, not at all. But I am a huge advocate for Rod Zombie because, again, what he is doing is kind of almost the opposite of what Stranger Things is doing is that he is going back and actually using the 1970s actors. I mean, he's he's given a lot of work to some of like, you know, these actors who were very much typecast as 70s horror actors. Absolutely. That anyone bar an extreme horror fan would not recognise yeah. at all. At all. Well, a lot of a lot of Halloween's teenagers are in um Rob Zombie's films, you know? And he goes back and he he knows his stuff. Yes. He's researched it. He 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 goes back and he brings soul into it and a passion into it. Um that films perhaps that you know you would say are technically better don't have that soul in them. So even the crap stuff is fun. But see, that's what's the interesting thing because when I... Thousand Corpses was only shown in Ireland once as far as I know at the Horathon yeah. um, on the big screen and, and no then, one really knew yeah. what to expect yeah. of it because there was all this excitement and it was like whether the universe were going to release it or not and there's this wonderful poster and the greatest tagline ever where life and death is meaningless and pain yeah. is hell. You're yeah, like, oh. yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, and 
all I remember from that first viewing I had, and it divided the audience completely, was it was just a barrage of color and energy. It's and psychedelia. Excitement. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, of course you can say, well, of course that's more Argento and this is that. Or this. Yeah. There's no doubt that he owes debts to these people. But then so does Tarantino with his stuff. Yeah. I just thought A Thousand Corpses was a blast and I didn't know what was going to happen in it. And that was the first time yeah. at that stage in a while where I'd felt like someone was taking me on a journey where I wasn't yeah. in control. Yeah. You yeah, know? I mean, it's a homage to Texas Chainsaw Massacre, yes. you know, and it's it's a love letter yeah. to Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And then obviously he's he's hit the highest note with Rejects. Yes. I, I don't think he's hit that note quite yet since. No. No, but he, Rejects was his pinnacle, I think. And that is the one people seem to be okay accepting. Even people who don't like Rob Zombie, they're kind of going, well, Devil's Rejects was pretty good. And, it's, uh, and that's why I think there's so much expectation now for the third installment. Yeah, so I presume people are up on this. So Three from Hell is a follow-up. If, if you've seen The Devil's Rejects, it's a bit of a head-scratcher because it seems like quite a conclusive yeah. ending. Uh, you know, yeah. it involved the Firefly family uh, racing in a car towards a police roadblock with... I don't know, maybe 100, 150 bullets fired at them, hitting yeah. them. Hitting uh, them. We saw them hitting <laughs> all them. All to Leonard Skinner's Freebird, which is just an epic. But uh, there is final a rule scene. in horror if you don't see them dead, they're not dead. Yes. And it was, it's funny because the body. when I first saw that, I thought, well, fair fucking play. Like, mm-hmm. that's it. That's an ending. Uh, yeah. To bring them back, yeah. you're, I hope he can earn it because. For me, 31 was the low point, the the real low point. And we'll talk about Lords of Salem in a moment because that is kind of a high point. For I me. liked it. I really um, liked Lords of Salem. But it's dangerous. Even Of course, everyone sees the trilogy completed. Yeah. But we've all seen Mother of Tears, the yeah. third part of Argento's trilogy. Yeah. And fuck me, I would have been happier wanting more. Yeah, know? exactly. Uh, so listen, I mean, the, the thing the thing as well about Rob Zombie's work is that I think it's a lot more intelligent than people give it credit for. Mm-hmm. And one of the areas in which I love about Rob Zombie's work is the humour. Yes. There is so much humour in Rob Zombie's work. Um, so it's kind of like akin to something we were talking about before air of this notion of Grand Guignol. And Grand Guignol was a form of theatre during the turn of the century. Specifically in France, though, one of the last um, troops that I'm aware of was operating out of San Francisco called the Trill Peddlers. And they had Grand Guignol right up until, I think maybe even five or six years ago. But Grand Guignol is a f- specific form of theatre that mixes um, very uh, comedic uh, kind of sex romp, almost like carry-on films with extreme horror, both psychological and um, physical. And what one of the things that was a, a, um, a, a touch point in Grand Guignol was, and I'm not going to say it in French because people will just turn the podcast <laughs> off. It. No way. Um, it's basically translated as hot or cold shower. So you would have extreme horror, then you'd bring in a comedy high point and then the horror coming in then would be all the more effective. It's like, you know, when you're at the spa, you jump in and out of the plunge pool and get back in. That's essentially what he does. And if you're into that form of humour, it's it's delicious. It really is. I mean, tutti fucking fruity. <laughs> that kind of annoyed me the first time, but it's great. Oh my God, I love it. <laughs> it's What's... Funny to me is that, again, say the criticism of Zombie's work where it is that it's just he's a music video maker or anything. I I really admire Lords of Salem and I find myself going back to it more often than some mm. of the other stuff. Not that it's the greatest film and I would never kind of stand to people saying this is a masterpiece, you're all idiots. It's just, and I think it loses itself in, in the, again, well, the final the, movement the, the and stuff. Thing. Yeah. yeah. Um, but 
one thing Rob Zombie has, which I would say a lot of acting filmmakers don't have nowadays, is he has a sense of imagery, of actual visual wow. impact. Yeah. You know, there's a scene where Sherry Moon Zombie walks down the corridor into the room and there's just this glowing red cross and yeah. there's something behind her. And just with music and a quite simple visual imagery, yeah. it impacts me. It grabs me and I yeah. feel something. It reminds me even of what Lynch managed to do in some of his films. I don't know why, but I have a visceral reaction to it. Yeah, that. Uh, you know, the colours yes. that he uses and the way in which he saturates his colours yeah. specifically to draw out different reds and blues. And, and people I mean, o- underestimate actually the talent it takes to do that. This is oh, not wow. just a, a sake of just throw it at the yeah. screen. Like, uh, yeah. We've all seen such terrible horror films where people do that. It's awful. Absolutely. He uses an intelligent horror maker. And I think people do not give him enough credit for that because all they see is Shri Moon Zombie and tits and gore and... They go uh, for the low-hanging fruit. And they go for the low-hanging fruit. Yeah. And I, he's actually a very intelligent and, and I, I'm very excited to see what comes out um, with him. And very funny. Like, yeah. you know, I mean, the cartoon stuff that he does is I haven't just... Seen Super oh, Bisto, okay. Super Bisto is amazing. You know, it's it's got all the characters from Rejects in it and it's just... And there's also... What I love about um, Rob Zombie's work is their mythology. Yes. That they, he, it, it, it's really layered. Yes, and he cares about that. He cares about creating a mythology that perhaps, you know, if you look at some of the newer films that have come out, like The Nun or Annabel oh. or, I know, I know, any of these type of films, they're just so vacuous. Yes. And it's so, it's created within a vacuum of nothingness. Like, I'm quite a supporter in general of Blumhouse I think they brought a lot of good stuff to horror but when I see stuff like The Nun or the Annabelle sequels or even Annabelle itself it it, it bothers me how there's all this stuff in there that I should be at least enjoying on mm. some base level and it's just incredibly like I, I can barely make my way through the film yeah. and I'd nearly watch anything <laughs> yeah I, I actually had to turn off The Last Annabelle yeah and I've never I don't do that you before know? then okay because I will have to wrap it up because Stephen's about to throw a shoe at me okay um, <laughs> Rob Zombie do you think the best thing that could happen to him is that he directs someone else's script? No, I don't think he's able to do that. He's the auteur who just has to... He is the auteur. And because, the, again, it's going back to this mythology that is, you know, it's almost like, I I would almost liken the way in which Rob Zombie writes to Irvin Welsh. You know, you you look at Irvin Welsh books and you'd be reading a book that has nothing to do with Renton or Sick Boy or any of the characters. And they'll just pop in, they'll kind of walk in on the page and walk back out again. And when, you know, I'm an avid Irvin Welsh fan. So when you read his books, it might be a mention, it might be a chapter, it might be a paragraph but there's always m- some sort of mention to the mythology and and the wor- the universe in which he has created and Rob Zombie does that beautifully as well um, I don't think he could direct someone we saw what happened with Halloween we did we that's did. true okay well then just and as a final note what what has you excited for her what would you like to see more of in the horror world oh my god that's the most horrible question ever more zombies more zombies more no I'm only messing um, I'm, I'm loving seeing this really interesting raft of of kind of in, of intelligent horror films that aren't necessarily masquerading as, as as intelligent horror films I think we need to go back to an era in which a horror film could be enjoyed by multiple people on multiple levels and be able then to take from it what we want and we saw that specifically in the 70s and 80s and I I think we need to go back to that because a lot of the big blockbusters at the moment are just, they're nothing, you know. Um, I want to see a time in which people are queuing up to go see The Exorcist again, you know. I couldn't say it better myself. Sarah, thank you so much for coming in today. Thank you so much. Thank you. 
more zombies.